Well, hello, everybody. It's uh, a Tuesday morning as we're recording this. Uh, two days now, I guess three days removed from Washington's latest loss, a, a 24-17 home defeat to UCLA that, that prompts the question, Danny, I'm, I'm Christian Capel alongside Danny O'Neill here. Um, where are we at in our search for bottom that, that you referenced in episode number one? Still looking for it. Still <laughs> plummeting the depths. Is it down here yet? Nope, nope. Home, I had a home against UCLA. Wasn't there. Wasn't there. That wasn't our. We 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 didn't start to rebound there. So two and four headed to the desert. And if if Washington loses to Arizona on Friday night, I I, I will I will categorize it as free fall. Like it'll be the next the next thing I'm going to wait for is a thud, just a being smoked into the earth's crust. Uh, but yeah, no, no, we still have not found bottom. Were you optimistic at any point Saturday that they might win that game? I never thought they looked good. I never, I never thought like, oh yeah, now it's humming. But yeah, when they dug out of the seventeen to three hole, I, I felt like, okay, you know what? Here's when I got optimistic when I saw Roma Dunze get the ball in his hand. Yes. Like that's when, when when you watched him him run with it. You brought it up last week. You said we were talking about who are the most talented players on this offense. And it was like K. Dot and Jalen McMillan, and you put Roma Dunze in there. He, he's the most talented player on that offense. Like he, when he gets the ball in his hand, the way he, that he runs after it, and when he started making plays, I was like, "All right, like you're 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 actually making progress here. We're not trying to force feed Sean McGrew because you want to establish the run or whatever the hell that was." So I I got yes, I got optimistic when Roma Dunze got the ball in his hand. I thought the height of their offensive optimism wasn't just getting him the ball, but getting him the ball in a situation where um, you're you're not depending on him to get separation on the line to protect anybody or on Dylan Morris to make an accurate throw. You're just going to send him in jet sweep motion and put the ball in his hands. And you know, I think you saw UCL yes. you saw UCLA do that all game with. You know, it, obviously they could just turn and hand the ball to Zach Charbonnet, and that was going to be good for five, six, seven yards every time. But you know, they they had some nice misdirection stuff that would oftentimes just be a, a shovel pass to a receiver or a back in motion, and um, they made it very simple. Chip Kelly clearly, you know, knows what he's doing in terms of finding very simple yet effective ways to put the ball in the hands of your best players. And I thought that that particular play to Odunze, just hey, this is going to be a real simple just. Get, you know, I did a story on him coming out of high school, and, and one of his his receivers coach, Bishop Gorman, said they had a play, or they had basically a philosophy whenever they got in a pinch, and that was just get the ball to Rome. And I think that 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 was an example of Washington kind of figuring out that he's one of those guys, and you just didn't see it after that. You know, obviously they targeted him, Dylan Morris. One of the, the few really, really good throws he made was the 26-yard touchdown pass to him. And, you know, maybe a little bit of a baby, uh, little baby stiff arm to get some some separation by Odunze there that, that, that went uncalled. But, um, yeah, I mean, he he's a guy that I, I think if you look at the stat sheet at the end of the game and, and he doesn't lead the team in targets and, and isn't near the top of the list of pass catchers in, in overall touches, then something's wrong. When you are in college football, there's still the opportunity for a guy to show he's just playing at a different level than everybody else. Like that he's he's faster or he's stronger through contact. And and, and Odunze had that at moments in the first quarter. The the end around, certainly the where he pushed off a little bit, but I was like, Look, man, that's that that's 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 the kind of playmaker you need. That's ball. So, somebody 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 who who is going to create a space and an opening and make sure he goes and gets it. The the run that he had after the catch where he's going down the sideline 
and he almost got in. Like that that sort of thing where you're like, okay, he's he's clearly he's clearly a playmaker on 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 that team. And I don't know what happened to keep him from getting the ball in the second half. And like you said, he had the most targets of anybody. So it's so it's not like there was some sort of I don't believe that Washington stopped trying to get him the ball. I I, I don't believe that, that happened. But everything for this offense going forward needs to be predicated around making sure that they give their playmakers a chance to make plays, that they they get the ball to them. And their playmakers, in my mind, are Kate Otten, and somebody is a consistent target over the middle. It's Roma Dunze, and, and then it's Jalen McMillan. And unfortunately, he he had a step, and Dylan underthrew him on on that on what turned out to be sort of the game-deciding play. I, I don't know if Washington was going to be able to get a stop after that and win it, but he, he had Jalen McMillan open, and it's really too bad that the throw wasn't wasn't just a little deeper, and I know it was windy and all of those, but that was that was a bummer. Those those are the three guys. Those are the three guys that your offensive game plan has to be. We're not going to lose because we don't get these guys opportunities. We might lose for a lot of reasons, including the fact that our linebackers have a real difficulty running. But but we're not going to lose because we fail to try to get the ball to these three guys. I do think it's unfortunate, you know, and I've kind of been. I've been writing this a little bit all season that, look, it's obvious the most dynamic talent on their roster offensively is at receiver. They need to throw the ball a bunch. I, I think, as you just pointed out, you know, you, you kind of saw a couple different times on Saturday why that is still a problematic approach. Not problematic. It's just it's going to be difficult for them to execute on a regular basis because, yeah, you look, big moment. You're down seven. You're driving. You've you've got one of your elite playmakers, Jalen McMillan, who just flat out beats his guy to the inside of the field, and the throw's not there. Um, Mm -hmm. They took a shot. I think it was their first possession. They took a shot to to Romo Dunze deep. He's got a step. If if the throw's out in front of him, you know he might be able to make that play. And look, when these receivers go into the go into the film room and and they're dissecting this thing, I'm sure Junior Adams is saying like, hey. You, you got to go back to the ball harder. You know, you you got you got to do a better job making a play on the ball. You you got to you got to try to bail your quarterback out better than that. So there's teaching points all around. But um, yeah, I I happen to be on the sideline for that interception that that was thrown toward McMillan there, and I saw him I saw him break open. I saw the ball in the air, and I thought this better be way out in front of him because this he's got a step, but he's not wide wide open. And mm-hmm. just tracking the trajectory of the ball, I thought, oh, he's gonna he's gonna have to make a huge adjustment to to even prevent this from being picked off. And the DB made a good play to haul it in, but yeah, I mean those those are the opportunities. Like you talk about having this elite skill on the outside and these guys who can get open and get separation, and that's something that they've you know Jimmy Lake is not wrong when he says like that is something they've been missing from that receiver group the last several seasons. Um, but you got to make the throws. You have to make the throws, and you have to be building toward that. And I think that comes my primary takeaway from this game, which was Washington and UCLA ran about the same amount of plays, right? I think I think UCLA ran like 66, and I think Washington was 61. They had about the same number of first downs. I think UCLA was 22 and Washington was 19. The, the difference was explosiveness. It was potency. And for UCLA, it was that every time they ran the ball, they gained more than five yards, 5.9 yards average per carry. double what Washington did. Washington was at 2.8. And if Washington gets a couple of those big throws, if if Washington gets a couple of those big plays, that's that's what the difference in the game is. And 
they've got to be building toward that. And at this point, I think that includes playing the young quarterback. I think that in- includes putting Sam Heward out there because in in today's environment, if you're Roma Dunze or you're Jalen McMillan, you're going to have a decision about whether or not you stay here. Like mm-hmm. that, that's and 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 Washington's priority has to be building towards something that will utilize their skills. I, I, I don't think that means that you have to go to a spread offense or you have to go and, and run what everybody else is. You have to be building toward that. Because the point you made about the, the coaching points and Junior Adams, who I think is a great position coach, talking about coming back and getting the ball, that's true. But you know what? You need a quarterback that can make that throw. It's yep. a Pac-12. You, yep. you need a quarterback who can make that throw. And halfway through this season at 2-4, and four, I don't think Dylan Morris is this team's biggest problem or he's holding it back. I I, I think the issues with the offense are are much more fundamental than that relate to the offensive line. But it's also pretty clear to me that he's not going to be that difference difference maker, at least not right now. And you've got a really high-profile recruit that I think those receivers would be excited to play with. I think you need to give him some time, some opportunities. I'm not saying he needs to start, but he needs to get on the field. Are are you at all interested to see what Patrick O'Brien might be able to bring to the offense? Because I kind of felt like bringing him in as a sixth-year grad transfer, he'd been at two different schools. He'd played a bunch of college football, albeit almost all of it in the Mountain West. He's he's a big guy. He's, he showed that he's got a pretty good arm. Um, I have a lot of questions about his ability to navigate a pass rush based on what we saw from him in, in spring and preseason camp. But do you think that there's a stop on the way to Sam Heward before you decide that you're going to maybe consider putting this guy's red shirt at risk where let's, let's see what the big transfer kid can do first. No, I'm not interested in seeing O'Brien because I don't think he's going to be a guy that, that his, his success keeps kids there. Yeah. And I, I, I just, if he's an upgrade, I think he's probably an incremental upgrade and I really don't care about getting bowl eligible this season. Like, I, I, I don't yeah. like that's that's not a, like, man, man, I hope they pull it out. So do we still have the craft fight hunger bowl? Is that still on the table? Like, man, if they could just put it, put together a good push. I care about them building some offensive continuity toward next year. I, I care about the, the most talented players on this offense who still have eligibility, feeling excited about what they're building toward coming back. And I think that goes through Sam Heward. I'm not concerned about the red shirt and maybe I'm wrong about that, but if he's, if he's a good quarterback, if he's exciting, do you you're possibly going to save a year of eligibility for nothing cuz do you really expect a quarterback to to play all 5 years if he's as good as people have thought he is or I mean Brock didn't Brock, Brock came out after his junior year, he still had a year of eligibility left. He'd been on campus for 4 years. So I don't I I don't know. I don't care as much about red shirts as I used to at all. I, I don't disagree with that, but I do think that Jimmy Lake is going to be consistent with what Chris Peterson's philosophy was, which was to not go against the best wishes of the player, which really end, you know ends up being the player's family. Um, and what, you know, mm-hmm. did, do they want to play? Do they want their kid to burn his red shirt if it means appearing in five games or six games? I don't know where Sam Heward is on that. I don't want to make any assumptions there. But it could be that at this juncture, the player doesn't want to burn the red shirt. So do you you don't you don't install him as your starting quarterback in game seven, where, you know, if he had to finish out the season, he would use a year of eligibility. I think looking at it, you know, just clean slate, 
does it matter if Sam Heward redshirts this year or not? I don't think that it does. Like you said, a talent like that, if he is, if he is what you think he is and he develops the way that everybody hopes he will, that's not someone you're keeping on campus for five years. And, you know, you, you could be talking about risking him never playing here, right? If, if mm-hmm. he's not given the opportunity and, and what the transfer landscape is and everything like that. So, you know, is, is that a gamble you want to take just to save one year potentially, and, and maybe not even that down the road. So I, but, but it, it does sound like, you know, you, you're to the point where it's, it's no longer about this season, right? I think that's, no. that's where most everybody's at. Yeah. It's about, it's about building. And look, I don't, I don't expect, I, I hope John Donovan's not back as offensive coordinator next year I I think I've seen more than enough of that so it's not like I'm like but he should have an opportunity like they should be trying to make the most with what they have and if that includes scrapping some of what they've done or tried to implement and and open it up a little bit more or playing different kids if 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 Sam and his family want him to redshirt I I wouldn't get in the way of that and that's a good point that you bring up I just always get those like Byron Murphy. Like, did did Byron Murphy want a red shirt? Because he only ended up playing two seasons because he was such a baller. And I remember yeah. Brock saying, Brock telling me that, like, hey, they got they got him champing at the bit, and he was pumped to play. So when he's on there, like, when he came out after, after red shirting that season, he was a monster the next season. I was like, yeah, well, it kind of would have been nice to have him play in his, his true freshman season since he only played two years. My thing was, it would have so- been pretty nice to have him on there for three years. <laughs> Byron Murphy, absolutely did not want to redshirt <laughs> but see that somebody goofed somebody goofed but my thing with him is he he would not have added any wins that season they had the, perhaps you know one of the best secondaries in school history they had mm-hmm. uh two early second round picks starting at cornerback plus Buda Baker plus a true freshman Taylor Rapp plus Jojo McIntosh who played a bunch at safety so yeah Byron Murphy could have played as like the sixth DB in in their you know their their penny packages their passing down packages, he obviously could have contributed on special teams, um, but he would not have started over either. I mean, he had he had two NFL guys ahead of him, so I like the, they wouldn't have beaten USC because Byron Murphy played, and certainly they wouldn't have beaten Alabama because Byron Murphy played. So I look at that season, it's like well, like it it was one of their best years ever. You know, if if it had been a year where where yeah, you know they the corner talent was a little down and and it was a seven or eight win type of team. Then I'd have been like, you know, could you not get this guy in the field? Maybe even like in the return game or at receiver because there were a lot of a lot of power five teams that would have taken him as a receiver too. He was he was really 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 good with the ball in his hands. So um, that yeah that that's that's very fair and and really rational. Chris. That's <laughs> a really good approach. And I apologize and I, for that. <laughs> and and I still look at it. I'm like, dude, that guy was good enough to go to the NFL after three years. He was sure as that good enough to get on the field somehow as a true freshman. Like you, you, you he only played two years for you because he was so good. But you're right. It was that was a stack, and not even two years. Not even two years. Twenty games he played. Yeah, he played. Yeah. Uh, he missed what six games his his redshirt freshman year. Or, no, he played in six games his, his, his redshirt freshman year, his first year playing. He was a day one starter that year, but he broke yep. his foot and missed missed a bunch of time. And, and then they had the 14-game season, his, his third-year sophomore season, where he was fully healthy and was you know really, really good and basically won I, them the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, when he lifted the, 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 the ball off the, the Utah receiver's foot. I think Britton Covey, I, I think he's still sore. 
yeah. from, from what happened here in his eighth year uh, red shirt senior season or whatever the heck it is. Well, when you're that old, you're sore when you wake up in the morning. I mean, no matter what. <laughs> He's going to get the NFL veteran like patented story yeah. about like, this is what it feels like after your eighth year of college football. <laughs> yeah, we have Britain. Britain's uh, taking an aspirin bath before practice. He'll be he'll be out here. He's still good, though. He is good. He is good. It feels unfair, though. Like, it really feels... It's kind of like when the when the guy who's shaving in the eighth grade, like, posts up. You're just like, okay, he's really good, but, but, but he's old. Like, he's got grown man strength, and he's out here with a bunch of college kids. You know what's really unfair? He's a junior. I know. He's still got another year. You think he's going to come back for it? <laughs> I think weird. He, I think he should. I think he should. <laughs> you know, Kevin uh, Kevin Thompson could have come back this year as an eighth year senior. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the boat Britton Covey is in. I don't know if he is he a sixth year junior or a seventh year junior. I forget. There I was... went and looked. Well, because there's a year that he's gone too, so I, that doesn't even count against his eligibility, or really like you shouldn't really count that. So I think it's a sixth year junior, but there's a missing year in there too, where he wasn't on campus and he was on a mission. Right. Also, yeah. I usually 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 guys only stay eight years in college yeah. if they're going to Wazoo. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a low blow. Or do we not do we not mention that it's a sensitive subject? All the coogs, they, coogs are really upset this week. They do have a medical medical school, so you know what's what's the what's the line what's the line from uh, yeah. the, from the Chris Farley move from Black, is it Black Sheep? I, 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 this is a blind spot in my comedy. I, I don't, I have not watched enough Chris Farley movies. Black Sheep, uh, Tommy Boy, I know some. What's the line in Black Sheep? I, I think love I, Farley, but I just, I, I think I'm thinking of Tommy Boy, where he says, he finally graduates from Marquette and he says, plenty of people go to college for eight years. And David Spade's character says, yeah, they're called doctors. <laughs> yeah, see, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, it's also, I, I regret to inform you that the, uh, the fight hunger bowl no longer exists as the fight. No! Hunger bowl. Well, what's so it, it became the foster farms bowl and that became the red box bowl. It did not, it did not happen last year because of the pandemic. And it's not going to happen this year because they couldn't find a TV deal or a corporate sponsor, uh, which reminds me of the very sad, uh, fight hunger bowl in 2013 when which washington played and they beat by byu it was the bowl game uh, after steve sarkeesian had left and marcus tuyasasopo was the interim coach that actually was not even the craft fight hunger bowl it was just the plain old fight hunger bowl they could not get craft to sponsor it it was played in a baseball stadium um the world will little remember it so you know p- pour one out for this year's red box bay area foster farms fight hunger.com bowl or, or or whatever they're calling it now yeah, man, many many tr- hidden tragedies in the pandemic, including that bowl <laughs> game that no one wanted to play in. You know what? It, it that game launched the the Oregon Mario Cristobal tough guy persona kind of because they beat Michigan State like seven to six in in the last one. Um, I think that's still no. That was so. That was the second to last one. The, the, the second to last version of the red box poll, but they came out the next year and were the best team in the pac 12 and had this, you know, real 
physical, you know, we're, we're going to run it at you and, and dominate the line of scrimmage identity. And, and, you know, after they beat Ohio state, he kind of, he pointed to that red box bowl is like, yeah, everyone made fun of us for winning seven to six, but you know, we want to be the, the lunch pail type of team. So yeah, it sounds, sounds familiar. sounds like something that, that a, a certain coach Our- and, and offense wants to do around here. Yeah, yeah, and put on a hat. Do you think Cristobal's pants are getting higher? Like, do you think they're <laughs> gradually, like, the equator is moving up on the pants? Because I, I've got, it's not at Nick Holt level quite yet, but I, <laughs> I, I definitely think that, that the, the waistline, like high-waisted jeans are popular now with the young ladies. I, I believe Cristobal is part of that, like, coaching attire. He's shifting, he's shifting his equator north. I have not noticed. I don't get to watch many Oregon games. Like I watched them against Ohio State. I did not notice the where 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 the belt line was at there. So we'll, we'll have to put that on the watch list. Yeah, basically, I'm searching for anything I can to make fun of Oregon because there's 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 not much room to to there's not in such a glass house. It's difficult to throw stones. Before the season started, if if someone had mapped out Oregon's season to this point for you and just game by game, hey, they're gonna. They're going to struggle with Fresno State. They're going to bounce back and get this great win at Ohio State, and then they're going to they're going to beat Arizona and not look great, and have this loss to Stanford and eke out a win against Cal. Not knowing anything about how Washington's season had played out to that point, wouldn't you feel pretty good about Washington's chances in the North? Yes, I would. I I, I really and honestly, this is how stupid I was at the start of the season. I liked Washington's direction. Like I thought their offensive line was going to be the kind of team that would give that that would pose a problem for Oregon and kind of slow down some of the offensive tempo and as much as Mario Cristobal likes to talk about his 7 to 6 win in the in the in the Red Box Bowl or whatever the hell it was at that point, I I I think Washington's at its best when it's been able to have an advantage in strength along the line of scrimmage. And you look at how Oregon got to this point and you would say, like, I, I, I don't they, – they lose to Stanford. They have a hard time with Cal. And then the, the difficulty with Fresno State, you're like, that's not a super physical team. I, I actually don't think that's an accurate description of Oregon because I, I, I think they are. And, and Washington, I, I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do well against Oregon because they're going to have to stop the run, and they're awful at stopping the run. And I think that all comes down to their linebackers. I think they've got a couple of pretty good defensive linemen. I love the way their secondary plays. They just, it looks like they don't have any speed at linebacker at all. It, it seems to me that, you know, when they were, they were so good against the run from basically 2015 on 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, that was a strength. You know, you were, you were just not going to come in and push Washington around, but they always had at least one stalwart D tackle who could eat up double teams and still get penetration and, and make plays in the backfield, whether it was Elijah Qualls or, or, you know, obviously Vita Vea, Greg Gaines was, was so reliable and so dependable. And Levi Onzerike uh, had, had kind of reached that level too, to where, you know, linebackers were free to run and maybe it wasn't as, as hard on them to, to get off of blocks. Maybe it was easier for them to, to make plays and you had, you know, they've always had really good physical safeties and and a nickelback. The nickel position's always been really mm-hmm. important against the run too. And I think that they they have that. I think Buki Radley Hiles has been pretty good. I think he's been what they hoped coming from Oklahoma. I know Sooners fans weren't real high on him by the time his career ended, but he he's made some plays. He's a guy who, if you watch their defensive highlights, 
This has not been a playmaking defense. This has not been a particularly physical attacking defense, but you've seen him make a difference a couple times. He had a big hit to break up a pass on third down uh, right before a, a, a series that that you know could have been a really pivotal one for Washington in the second half against UCLA. But aside from him, I just I don't know that you see that that real stalwart nature with their defensive tackles up front. Clearly, they they don't have the same caliber of linebackers that they did um, during Chris Peterson's tenure when when they were really good stopping the run. And I, I don't think they have those type of safeties either to come down into the box and and provide really great reliable support. Uh, I know one of the criticisms that I see a lot is why are they still playing with two high safeties? Why are their safeties still playing so far from the line of scrimmage? Jimmy Lake was asked about that and basically said, well, it might look that way pre-snap, but they rotate down, you know, basically in so many words, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. We're fine there. Um, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and study it closer to see how true that is. But it just seems to me like the their defensive philosophy has been predicated on having dudes up the middle and stopping the run. And I just don't know if they've got the dudes this year. Yeah. Taimani and Latuli Gasanoa have seemed like they've made they've gotten good penetration at times and been really disruptive. And I know they were two really highly regarded defensive tackles. But but you're probably right. Like they don't have that one mountain of a guy in the middle that can really be responsible for kind of two gap. Like he's strong enough to 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 occupy that space in the middle, and they they're going to have to go around him. Nobody's going to move that guy out of that spot. I just I find myself always looking at the line and the the play from UCLA that clinched that clinched the game. That third down option run by by the quarterback. Look, he's fast. The quarterback's fast, but that was a no contest once he was out there. Oh, yeah. And the linebacker wasn't in terrible position. Like he he didn't it's not like he bit on the play fake. Like he he, he was there, he was accounted for. He just wasn't wasn't fast enough. And I, I think if if I had one if I had one comment about linebacker play since Ben Burkhurvin left is that either they don't have someone who's as instinctual as Ben Burkhurvin was, which is a really high bar because I thought he was one of the more instinctive, like just understood where where plays where to be, and they don't have the speed to make up for that. And 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 the fact that Ulafoshio, who I think is a pretty good player, but he was he was a walk on. I I think a lot of those relate to whether they have are are they average or below average in the Pac-12 in terms of their linebacker speed. My answer to that is they're below average. It certainly looks that way. Um, I. I feel like their best linebacker the last two years was Elijah Molden playing in the nickel. There's no doubt about that. And Molden's a stud. And and that's what, if you ask me the thing that I love most about Jamie Lake's defense, the thing that I love is the way his DBs tackle. I, I, I think they're ballers. I think it's one of the reasons that they translate so well to the NFL because they're tough. But yeah, I, I, I would agree. Like Elijah Molden, I love, I love how combative he is. I, I, I thought he was absolutely a monster. And, and, and I think you've seen that you are bringing up their nickelback is not a deficit this year. It's not, it, he's not as good as Elijah Molden, but Molden, I mean, Molden's a second round pick as a nickelback that usually doesn't happen. And that's a, that's a tribute to how, how, how well developed those guys are. But yeah, the, the, the linebackers, they, they need, they need to get, they need to get some guys that have the speed to be able to, I, I think that's, I think that's the reason you're seeing their run defense get gashed. Yeah. I, I, I think that's absolutely the biggest factor. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, 
at F1, Yula Foscio had, he was, he was so impactful last year. He, he forced a couple of really key fumbles. He got after the passer. I think he led the, the Pac-12 in tackles per game and, you know, obviously a really small sample size, but I think he had 47 tackles in their four games. So, you know, he, he came into this season kind of thinking that, okay, this is their next guy at linebacker. And, and, you know, I don't know if, if he would say that he's played at that level. Uh, and then next to him, you know, Jackson Sermon is his kind of, drawn I think the ire of the fan base the last couple of years I'm not sure how much of that is is totally fair and you know how much of it is is maybe just scheme problems or, or whatever but yeah I mean you just watching these guys try to track plays and and fill gaps and make tackles it just doesn't look as instinctual as, as you would like it to look my policy or my approach to this is you can't you can't criticize a kid for not being good enough like that's that's not it's it, college football is not about that to me, if, if you've got a player that's not playing up to what you need at that position, the criticism goes to the coaches. Yes. And the criticism goes to the coaches because they haven't either recruited the, the, the kind of player or developed the guys that they need at that position. So I, I, I think that's where I lie. That's where I go to at the linebacker spot is I think that's been an enduring issue that they have not been able to resolve. And there's only so long you can blame it on the kid that decided he wanted to go to Alabama. Speaking of linebackers, well, if, hey, did, did you see him make a tackle on Saturday? I didn't. Did he? Did he get out there and clobber somebody? I heard his name at least once. <laughs> that was, and that's one, I, I take no solace or joy in anybody's, but the amount of time that was spent getting mad about where he ended up going. I, I hate that. I, I I cannot tell you how much I loathe people who get mad at a kid for not going to the school they want him to go. Even if he said he's going to go there. If that kid wants to change his mind as he gets on campus, as, as he's about to step foot on campus, he's like, no, I can't do it. I got to go somewhere else. All the power to you, young man. Like, enjoy it. Like, I want everybody that goes to Washington to have the kind of experience that I've had. But just the sheer discrepancy between the amount of attention that was paid to his recruitment and how much it's actually translated to on-field productivity it it shows me it reinforces to me why recruiting drives me up a wall yes and there's there are some examples of that um on the current roster right now that i don't think it's fair to to call out by name but there there's definitely some guys that you know two, three years down the line, you look back at the the angst over their recruitment and the way their career panned out. And I'm like, mm, you know, I think if you'd have had a crystal ball, you wouldn't have been, been wouldn't have been so, uh, so upset about it. One guy who's been the reverse of that, who I don't think anybody had particular expectations for when he signed as a three-star recruit out of Hawaii in the 2018 class, Zion Tupuola Fatui, uh, got on the field for the first time Saturday, which is Amazing in itself. I mean, six months to the day after he tore his Achilles, he's playing in a college football game, uh, played 10 snaps, according to Pro Football Focus, was credited with four pressures in those 10 snaps. From you. 40% it, of the time he's getting home. 40% of the time he's applying pressure. And, you know, you didn't you didn't even need to see the numbers because he is he just looks different out there. You forget, you know, kind of watching this pass rush struggle. They only have nine sacks in six games, and they still didn't have any on Saturday. You kind of forget, like, 
what it really looks like when you've got a dude out there on the edge yep. and it's third and nine and you know he's coming and they might double team him. They might call him out, know exactly where he is, but he's still going to make a move. He's still going to get the quarterback off his spot. And even his for, you know, first time playing football in six months and coming off an injury, knowing he was going to be on a pitch count, he impacted the game. And I thought it was just, it was just very striking to watch somebody at that position uh, do something that they just have not had otherwise. Yeah, he could make a real difference, and he did. He looked awesome. I'm really happy for him that that it looks like his recovery has progressed to, to that point because he did. He looked really good. And we talked about that defense, the defense in the team that went to the, the college football semifinal, the Peach Bowl. They, they really haven't had an edge rusher, like not nope. like this. Nope. They have not had a guy that comes roaring off the edge like this maybe, maybe since Kakaha. And even then, Kakaha did not did 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 not play quite like quite like ZTF does. He he is he is that rare breed edge rusher with that sort of crazy bend and and strength. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. That so between Roma Dunze uh, getting the ball a few times and ZTF coming in. Yeah, those those were probably the two highlights of the game. Isn't it strange to see? <laughs> They have these moments where I keep using that word different, but they have these moments where there's guys, okay, Romo Dunze has the ball in his hands in space, and it's like, whoa, that's a dude. That looks different. Yeah. Z- yes. ZTF gets a step on on a tackle coming off the edge or hits someone with a spin move or bowls through a guy, and it's like, whoa, okay, that guy's going to play in the NFL. That is different. They have had plenty of those individual moments you can you can see how much talent is on this team and you can see why people were so high on this roster um it's just it's so odd to see so many of those flashes for a team that's two and four and i i just don't know if if they've got the juice to put that all together um is there anything they could do friday that would make you feel any better about this team at all yeah if they win i'll I'll feel that it's no longer in a free fall um, I, I'll feel that it's no the parachute has there is there is actually the hope of a functioning parachute to prevent this from just being a crash landing and yeah. leaving a divot. Um, but that you mentioned the individual talent because you have seen it. Kyler Gordon's looked awesome. I, I think McDuffie is going to play and could be a star on Sundays. Like I think he's a really really talented corner. Do Do you think it's the brick and mortar stuff? Do you think it goes back to the offensive line and that that just hasn't their inability to be able to run the ball like their head coach has wanted, which, by the way, I think that translates. I'm not of the opinion that this relates to running back performance. I, in, the, in the NFL, I've long been a, a, a believer that running backs don't really matter, like not, not in the sense that people think. Yeah. That, that there are running backs that are great, but there's such a high injury rate at that position. And it's so hard to maintain that, that it's silly to invest a ton of money or spend a really high pick on a running back because so much of their success is dependent on the guys in front of them. And, and I, I think that this season really speaks to that. Cause at the beginning of the year, it was like, why are they running Richard Newton? They should be running Sean McGrew or Sean McGrew's a really good player. And then he gets out there and he runs well. Is it like, see Sean McGrew is really good. Well, what happened against UCLA? Did McGrew start stinking? No, it's because the offensive line has a hard time blocking anybody. They could could push Montana around. And so do you think it's just the, the brick and mortar stuff? Stop the run and run the ball that has gotten in the way and kept this team that does have some standout players from it, it's not like they're 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 just okay. They're bad. 
it's a bad team that that feels really brutal to watch sometimes. I, I think if you were to draft the biggest problems on this team, um, the run blocking and the offensive line would would be the number one pick, and then the inability to stop the run would be number two. So yeah, it comes down yeah. to the it comes down to the trenches on both sides of the ball. I I just I still don't buy that it's a personnel issue. Um, at least offensively, I, I think mm-hmm. this group was maybe it was fool's gold. Maybe they weren't quite as good as, as people want to remember in the four games last year, they were sure as hell better than this. So, uh, I, I don't know if it's other, you know, opposing defensive coordinators have just caught up to what they want to do. They it's, it's so simple that they, it just doesn't take much effort for them to roll out a game plan to neutralize that and then adjust to whatever, you know, adjustments Washington makes. I don't know. Um, I just know that it, it, sure looks like a coaching and structure issue. And um, yeah, I I think it was already obvious to a lot of people, but the way they lost to UCLA, 17 points, 267 yards, zero points in the fourth quarter, 4.4 yards per play off a bye at home against a a team playing the second of a road back-to-back. I don't know how you don't make staff changes at this point. And it's not going to come until after the season, barring like consecutive shutouts or something. But um, I I think the fate is sealed, at at least for for one position on that side of the ball. Yeah, and you also saw the trend again where what their, their, their best drive of the first half was their first one. Like they, they march down and they kick the field goal after even that drive stalls out, but and then it just goes goes flatline for two quarters. It's almost like once the opponent sees, oh, okay, this is what they're doing. Let's let, let's adjust so we don't let them do that to us. And then for quarter and a half, Washington's spinning its wheels. I just like to rewind to the the primary two problems on this team, whose coach ran wore a hat saying, "Run the dang ball." <laughs> Is that they can't run the ball, nor can they stop the run. <laughs> they're two. They're they're big. <laughs> their biggest That's defensive insane, priority, man. That's insane. Like it's uh, going to be tough. We're going to run. The, we can't run the ball. And we can't stop the run. Other than that, everything's awesome. God. <laughs> you wore a hat. It's. It's just, it's just, it's just the two most important things in football, Danny. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we got you see the talent, the skill position players we have. Not that we're really all that interested in getting them the ball sometimes, and and God forbid that we try and play the freshman quarterback who can really fling it around. But but yeah, but yeah, we just we just struggle to run the ball or stop the run. (laughs) Oh God! And it really is. The, their inability to stop the run really is uh, it's it it's made more of a shame by the fact that they are a truly difficult team to throw against because of their talent at cornerback. Yes, yeah, that's tough. You saw what UCLA did. What did UCLA do? They didn't throw downfield. Like, yeah, yeah, he completed a lot of passes. That wasn't coming. They were not throwing into the teeth of that secondary. A lot of those passes traveled like three feet. Yep. They yep. were just shovel passes to dudes moving and they were really did, effective. They did at least make him throw it a bit. Cause what the last two, you brought this up last time, the last two quarterbacks to beat him had thrown for fewer than 50 yards. So at least, <laughs> <laughs> at, least at least they did make him, make him release the ball from his hand going forward. <laughs> it may not have been very far, but they, they, they would not have, they would not have lost this game 
if if UCLA had not attempted forward passes. He crossed the 50-yard threshold pretty early in the game, too. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I was like, I was, and I, I made a mental note once he did. Um, I thought, <laughs> okay, it's it's not it's not going to be one of those. Uh, yeah, you got to laugh to keep from crying, right? So do you, are, are you going to stay up and watch on Friday night? Uh, do, do you stay up for the late, late games on the East Coast? I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm not sure about Friday night because we're traveling to go to North Carolina. Um, I've got a memorial to go to on Saturday. But no, honestly, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be in a hotel um, and, and, and we'll stay up to watch them. Yeah, it's Husky, Husky football is a sickness. Um, there's not... <laughs> I've I've seen way worse than this. <laughs> this is, I, I've had years. The year the year that I I say that Ty Willingham killed my dog. Um, <laughs> that year I had to stop watching. Yeah, he did. I'll explain why. But um, the the I had to stop watching and I would listen to it and do home improvement because we were remodeling our kitchen at that point. And and I would just I would just work through it because I was like I I should at least take all of this anger and use it. And in the Apple Cup, right right when they when that pass got completed to Carstetter, I left. Like I was just like I'm not listening to the end of this. I I I I went I went on a walk because I I knew where it was headed. Because you knew curious. you knew. But um, yeah, that year. So I the first dogs that my wife. Yeah, I did. I, I knew what was going to happen. And I was that's that's the maddest I've ever been at a Husky game was that Apple Cup because that was pathetic. Um, and that that is the reason I say that um, Ty Willingham killed my dog because we had adopted two Sharpay, um, Chinese Sharpay. We were now on our fourth. Uh, we get them from a rescue. Um, and the the first two that we adopted um, in large part because I was covering the NBA at the time. So I was I was working nights essentially for six months of the year. And we just moved into a house, and my wife decided she wanted we that she wanted dogs to to sort of help her feel safe in this house. So we got them, and they were named Ty and Tia. Which at that point, now Ty the dog was spelled T A I, but at that point the, the the dogs were named after the UW UW coaches. And after Washington went zero and twelve, my Ty did not make it to the next year. He had he had kidney failure. It was awful in August. And, and he passed away before we made it to the season. And I, I said it was because Ty Willingham taught my dog it was okay to lie down. Oh, that is, that is a, just a brutal story in so many ways. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's horrific. But um, yeah, that's, that, that was, that, that's about how I feel about that, that, that 0-12 year. Because I, I felt like it was the culmination of a process in which Ty Willingham was determined to show that he could grind a once proud program down to the absolute nub of Owen 12 without ever showing a hint of regret along the way that it was, that it was the accomplishment of some sort of like stoicism that he was going to prove that that was possible without even showing a glint of emotion as, as he extinguished the flame of this once proud program. The fact that he, referenced defending the Alamo in his final pregame speech in in the uh the, the last game at Berkeley where they they had, they lost that Apple Cup and then they had a bye and then they had yep. to go play at Cal uh at Owen 11 with their coach already fired. I I forget if it was the Cal game, maybe it was the USC game earlier that year, I don't know. It all it all kind of runs together, but the the just the fact that he referenced like this this losing battle. They um, all died. Yeah. They all died in the Alamo. 
They all died. And he was like, put up a fight like them? Like, no, no, pick, pick somewhere we won, dude. <laughs> Incredible. I do, I still remember uh, in, in the Washington, either in or right outside the weight room at Wazoo where they do uh, visiting team interviews. And just that, as a student reporter covering that team for the Daily, I saw some things that I probably will never be topped in my career just in terms of like total oddity. And after that game, you had Softy asking him if he was gonna, if he was still gonna coach the Cal game, and him giving the death glare and saying, "You keep asking me that," and and said, "Well, it's a it's a different week." And Tyrone saying, "Well, guess what? Same answer." And then you had someone asked him what he said to his team afterward, and he said, "Let's go home." <laughs> God, it's my. My favorite. Well, there was two. So were you at Cal after that last game? I was not. No, I've, I've heard the story many times, but I wish yeah, I had. Yeah, well, he tried been. to run off. Yeah. yeah, he tried to run off. Like he, the, the reporters had not gotten down there in time, so he was going to run off without doing an interview. My favorite media story from that year is when at a press conference, um, Bob recited some of the many horrific stats and asked Tyrone for a reaction, and he responded, well... What do you want me to do, Bob? Jump up and down and get mad? And Bob just goes, I really don't care what you do. I don't care. (laughs) It's like, I'm giving you an opportunity to show you care, and obviously you don't. It's like, I don't care what you do. Uh, Look, man, it doesn't matter to me. It might matter to your fans, maybe your employer, but again, it was just a big elaborate challenge to see if he could he could go through that entire campaign without expressing any human emotion should we cap this by by revealing our podcast name yes i'm excited for it yeah so i wish i i don't have the twitter handle handy i know this was was a a suggestion from i think one of your followers um but the one that immediately caught both of our eyes it's a reference to uh obviously one of the more uh, famous games in Washington history, the the Todd Marinovich USC game in 1990. We are we are going to title this thing. All I saw was podcast, and it's Matt underscore M six seven. Matt underscore M six seven, who suggested that on October 14th. In my mind, the greatest podcast in college football is is a. I don't know if it's a close second. It's I think it's second. I, I like it as a as a, a, a tweak to um, that marketing slogan because I I think it's kind of silly. Um, but I I think people would come across it and be like, oh, who who are these guys thinking they got the greatest podcast in college football? What's that? Oh, geez, it, you know that's maybe maybe comes off as a little bit too arrogant for people who wouldn't get the reference. So I like I like yeah. where, where we landed here. Yeah, the 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 only. It- Anybody who says that knows exactly – if you know Husky football, you know exactly when that happened and what it was about. And it was about once proud USC with their robo quarterback being clobbered into such oblivion that he remembered no names, no faces. All it was purple. There's also a nod to this – it was Angie Mentink's birthday. And her son, Jackson – Angie's a fantastic Husky. Incredible stuff. Um, and – and her son wished her happy birthday by showing the picture of one of the Mariner players hitting her flush in the face with the Gatorade bath that was <laughs> aimed for Ben Gamble. 
and it's it's purple Gatorade. And that was what Angie responded to by saying all I saw was purple, which has like that's yet another example of why Angie is so incredible. Kind of one of my favorite things about that, and it's it's one of those one of those sort of like mythical like college football little oddities is that Todd Marinovich did not say all I saw was purple. He never he never said that in his in his post game comments. Um, he was asked a question from a reporter about about who stood out, I think, defensively, and he said, uh, "You know, I didn't yeah. I didn't see any names. I I saw purple was the closest he came, but it, it kind of over time morphed into the all I saw was purple game. So I think it's kind of a it's a, it's a fun little detail that he he didn't actually utter those words. That's great." We've taken him out of context. That's fantastic. Yeah, he made his quote better. <laughs> yeah, there's a, you know it's it, a little bit of yellow journalism there, but that's that's fine. There's no problems with that. This country is founded on yellow journalism and us almost getting things right. Yes. Well, speaking of almost getting things right, you were only 19 points off uh, with your your, your prediction for the UCLA <laughs> game. I was I will on the other hand will point out I was I was one point off. So, uh, where, where are we at? I thought of that as it was going. Cause I also said Sean McGrew was going to be the player of the game. And he, he most decidedly was not, was that, were those his first half stats? Was it 12 carries for 16 yards? Uh, that sounds about right. It was, he finished like 18 for 38. So they, Hey, they gave him the opportunity. I mean, they, they tried to, tried to jam him in there twice from, uh, from, from the two yard line and then like the four yard line or whatever it was. So he had the opportunity, but what's, uh, what, what do you see happening in the desert on Friday? I do believe that the Wildcats are awful. And, and I, I, I think Washington will get this. I, I'm there. I'm not going to pick them to score more than 30 points the rest of this season. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm going to go 24 to 20 Huskies. Wow. So you, you really think it's going to be a nail biter? Yes, I do. Yeah. I, I don't think Washington's very good. I don't think they're good. I don't think they have it in them to smoke any Pac-12 teams this year. In terms of like fan unrest, I think a 24 to 20 win against this Arizona team will make things worse. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I even though even if it's even though it's a win and you can't, you know, this team can't have take any game for granted. People not been watching these games? <laughs> this team's bad. Like yeah. bad team. Like that's that this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone anymore. Like this is well established. We're six games into it. It's a bad football team. Arizona has lost eighteen games in a row. I'm just saying, thirty four to nothing last week against Colorado. <laughs> so a, tw- a yeah, twenty four to twenty win against this team, I think would, uh, I think it might actually make make people more upset. I, I I think Washington's favored by sixteen. I cannot, in good conscience, pick them to cover the spread. So uh, I do think they'll win. I think it'll be ugly. Um, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say they win 27 to 13, and I think Arizona will be in the game heading okay. into the fourth quarter. Um, I am determined not to underestimate Washington's. I'm I'm determined not to underestimate Washington's futility the rest of this season. I got, I, I've, I've seen what this team's capable of, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to underestimate their ability to disappoint me the rest of this year. I'm going to hold you to that. And we're going to see how successful you are. (laughs) It's true. Uh, this is fun, Christian. I really enjoyed it. I liked our first episode and I've, I've enjoyed this one a ton too. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, 
I think this will be fun to to kind of check in weekly and and see uh, see if they can find that bottom, Danny. <laughs> the search for bottom. Hopefully, the free fall stops. All right. Have a good one, everybody.